0: Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Those of you that were not valedictorians, I had 12 in my graduating class and I wasn't even close. So, it's okay. Isaiah chapter 55, we'll be there in a minute. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. So get Isaiah 55 and Ephesians 4. I want to speak this morning on how to stay Christian in college. How to stay Christian in college. And it doesn't matter. You know, some of them may or may not go to college, maybe vocational, but I think these principles will apply regardless. And the Bible says, The prudent man seeth trouble afar off and hideth himself from it. Let me say that again. The prudent man seeth trouble afar off and hideth himself from it. So what we're trying to do today, young people, is to prepare you for what's coming in the future. What are you going to face And this is what we want for you. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the life that you've given us. Lord, you have offered us salvation. And those of us who have received your free gift of eternal life, We become sons of God and we can know you in a very special way and have your direction and your wisdom, your Holy Spirit guiding us. And Lord, I pray that every one of these young people, I pray that they have all placed their faith and trust in you alone. And if they haven't, that they'll do that today. And then after having received you as Savior, that they learn to walk worthy of the calling that you've given them. In Jesus' name, amen. When you ask a person, what is your vocation, You know, I would say pastor. Some of you would say lawyer or or, or factory worker or mom. Whatever that that vocation is, your ultimate vocation, if you're a believer, is a Christian. And God has called you to live and to walk in a certain way. And the Bible tells us what that is, if you look at verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness. Now, meekness is not timidness. It's not timidity. It is, you just don't think about yourself all the time. So, that means that your life is not a selfie. Your life is for others. You know, you know our culture has gone too far when they actually make sticks so you can take selfies better. You know? When your life is completely about you, I don't think that that's biblical Christianity. Amen? Now, somebody's going to leave here and say, preacher preached against selfies today. No, I'm not, I'm not preaching against selfies. It was so funny. I was with Lydia's roommate in college, Shekinah, she's about this big, and she's on a college tour group right now. I met them in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago, and they were getting ready to leave, and I wanted to get a selfie of myself and her, and you should have seen me, man. I looked like I was 80 years old trying to figure out, uh, you know, rocket science or something, and finally Shekinah just took it and took the selfie because I was completely incapable. I'm not against (laughs) taking selfies. That's not what I'm saying. Let's make our life about others, mostly about the Lord, and then about others in that order. So I, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And what is that unity? That unity is around a body of doctrine. It says there is one body, and that's the church. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, what? God, has a, God has a body of doctrine that He wants you young people to know and to believe and to walk in, and it is the truth. It's the truth. And what I want you to recognize today, I think the first step in making it through um, college as a Christian into this stage of life is this recognize that you're not entering into a neutral site. You're not entering into a neutral site. It's interesting I think that sometimes we have this idea that when our young people walk into an educational environment that you have academic objectivity and that the people are just going to the teachers are just going to present the facts that they they don't lace it with their opinion that the it, it won't be antagonistic towards your young people. And I think that if you believe that then you're just not aware of what's going on in the world. I was mentioning in the Sunday school hour that we have several of our young people who graduated last year or the year before who are in a college situation now, and they're facing that antagonism. Um, A.J. gave a presentation in his class at Edison, and he got 100 on the presentation and a D on the paper, and the teacher wouldn't show him why he was marked off for a D. And they might not want me to, but I'm probably going to track down that professor and find out what in the world's going on. That's wrong, man. And, but that is, don't think that your young people with their Christian faith are walking into a neutral site. Samantha, in the Sunday school hour, she's taking nursing classes at Edison. And she just, she, she's got A's and B's the whole time. She confronted her professor about creation. The next she got a D. And now she has to take that same professor next semester. Do not think that you are walking into a neutral environment. You are not. They are antagonistic toward the Christian faith. And let me tell you something. It's not because they know more than us. There are people in this room that, that, that have as much or more education than any person that you'll study under. It's not about education. It's about a worldview. They hate your God. They hate your God, and then they hate everything that you represent if you're going to live in that faith. And that's the world that we live in. So please don't think that you're walking into a neutral environment. You're walking into the realm of the intellectual predator. There are some of your professors, not all of them. Some of you will have a good Christian professor. Now, let me tell you, that's very rare. But some of you will have a Christian professor but there are others, and they, they have a, they, they're going to put a target on your back as soon as they find out that you are a Christian. They're intellectual predators. There are others that are looking for Christians who are thinkers, and what they're going to do is they're going to bombard you with information that you don't know, that you're not familiar with, to try and overwhelm your understanding of the Bible in order to say that, see, you really don't know anything, you need to listen to me, what you've believed so far is a lie. But let me tell you something, they are the ones who are lying. I'll give you some examples of that in a minute. So first of all, realize that you are walking into the realm of the intellectual predator, and then you need to know that your professor probably hates you. Now, How's that for encouraging? I'm just telling you, if you have a biblical perspective... There are many professors, they won't say it out loud, but they absolutely hate you. They think that you're a bigot, they think you're a homophobe, they think that you are um, dangerous, and they think that your parents are dangerous, and I'll demonstrate that in a minute. Now, you need to hear that. That's the world that we live in, and it's not getting better. You all recognize it's not getting better, amen? That's the world that we live in. So, you young people, that's the world that you're stepping out into. Isn't this encouraging so far? Then, what do your professors believe? Let's get an understanding of it. College professors are five times more likely to be atheists than the general public. Five times. And so these are the people that are influencing the next generation. So here's what happens. The the policy makers, the opinion makers... All of these young people that go to journalism school and these are the ones they are influenced by atheistic thinking and then they report information to you from an atheistic perspective and so you think there are more atheists in our culture than there are. They're not. They're just in positions of influence. Most of America believes that God exists. You need to realize you are not the minority when you go into the school, but compared to your professors, you will be. But as far as the culture, you are not in the minority, but they'll make you feel like you are. More than half of college professors have unfavorable feelings toward evangelical Christians. More than half. And so immediately when you walk in the room, if you're identified as a Christian, some professors will make you take that stand. How many Christians do we have here? That's what they'll ask. And here's what they'll say. You won't be a Christian by the time you're done with my class. Well... I would say, au contraire, my professor. I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to be a Christian through eternity. And when you face the God that I worship, you're going to wish that you were. All right. Only 6% of professors say the Bible is actually the Word of God. This is the atmosphere that you're walking into. And this is a recent survey of professors all over the country, and uh, the majority of professors actually participated in it. Fifty-one percent of professors say the Bible is an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts. And how many of you recognize the Bible so much more than that? It's so much more than that. And when the worldview of the teacher is that, you're going to be challenged by that. You're going to be told that this person who's teaching you knows more about your subject than you do, and they simply don't. They might know more than you do, but they don't know more than us. They've never even seen the information that we teach here. And so who is the ignorant one? They are. We know their positions. They don't know our positions. They are the uneducated ones when it comes to our truth. All right, this is Daniel Dennett. He teaches at Tufts University, and he's got a really cool beard. But he is influencing these new atheists. And what you need to understand is Dennett is not teaching at the school that you're going to attend, but he's influencing many of the people that you're going to study under, And listen to what he says. They will see me as just another liberal professor trying to cajole them out of some of their convictions. And they are dead right about that. That is exactly, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. This is Richard Rorty. He said, We try to arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. Is he supposed to be teaching? Or is he supposed to be changing the values of his students? He believes he is to change the values of his students. This is Richard Rorty. He is known for the philosophy of pragmatism, and he has influenced all of modern education, Richard Rorty. He also said, so we are going to go right on trying to discredit you. He's talking to the parents. We're trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. And here's why they have to do it. Because our morality is proven to be true. Our philosophy is proven. It's demonstrably true. We win the debates. Our science is provably, demonstrably true. They cannot stand up to our evidence. So what do they have to do? They have to marginalize us, make us look stupid, and make us look silly. And if you look around this room, there are educated people here. Some of the most brilliant people you ever meet are in this room, and they believe the things that we teach here. It's not silly. It's not stupid. How about this? How many of you believe it's silly to think that you can borrow money to get out of debt? How many of you think that's silly? All right, that's what Richard Rorty would believe, social liberal. It's insane. You've got to take your brain out and play with it to think that way. But these are the people they are going to marginalize us and make us look stupid. He's so crazy, he could not live by his philosophy unless he were being paid by a university. If he had to go out in the real world and live by that philosophy, he'd starve to death. Why? Because it's not real. He's silly. He's silly. But he's been given a platform, so he's very dangerous. Remember, you're not walking into a neutral environment. It's a hostile environment. Steven Weinberg. Steven Weinberg won the Nobel Prize in physics. He taught at MIT. He now teaches at the University of Texas at Austin. And listen to what he said. I personally feel that, teaching, that the teaching of modern science is corrosive of religious belief, and I'm all for that. Well, really? Well, science tells us that the world had a beginning. At one point, there was nothing. And that matter can't create itself, so how did it get here? That's what science tells us. So that means that however the earth got here, since matter can't create itself, it had to be immaterial. Since time actually had a beginning, science tells us that, then must be timeless and must be powerful because he had to be able to create the world outside of any of the natural forces. And then must be personal because whatever created had to choose to create. That's what science tells us. That's Is that corrosive of religious belief or does that tend toward religious belief? You see, this physicist is a liar who hates God and he's antagonistic toward you. They're going to consider you to be the dangerous ones when his teaching is obviously not based on science but on a philosophical predisposition against God. I think I've got some more from him. He said, If scientists can destroy the influence of religion on young people, then I think it may be the most most important contribution that we can make. So the most important contribution of teaching science is to destroy religion. How about that? So this is not, this is not a neutral environment. Christopher Hitchens, he said, I think religion should be treated with ridicule, hatred, and contempt. And I claim that right. And Hitchens is one of the people that has influenced your professors more than any other person now. It used to be that you would be questioned as to your Christianity. Now your Christianity will be mocked. And this is the Bill Maher on HBO. Now, I don't have HBO. I won't have it. When they offer it to me for free, I say no. There's too much wickedness. I don't want that in my house. Amen? Amen. But Bill Maher and John Stewart, who's not there anymore, these are the newsmakers for the liberals. And the young people get their information from those guys. And they hate God. They hate everything that you believe. And they're getting their information from men like Hitchens. And our young people have to remember, you're not walking into a neutral environment. Then, Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman went to Moody Bible Institute. And then he went to Wheaton College. At Wheaton, he was taught some false views on the manuscripts of the Bible. He went on to Princeton and became uh, uh, an atheist. He just doesn't believe that you can know the truth. He doesn't believe that that the New Testament is reliable. And so he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, which has influenced so many people. He was on the John Stewart show, They Love Him. And he says, there are a few things more dangerous than inbred religious certainty. See that inbred? How many of you see that as a derogatory term, inbred? Right? Incestuous, inbred. That's what, this is a college professor. That's what he thinks. Young people, look at me for a minute. That's what he thinks of you. So, there are a few things more dangerous than inbred religious certainty. Now, let me ask you a question Do you think he's certain of that? See, philosophically, all of Bart Ehrman's arguments break down. I've read his material. He's a brilliant, just a brilliant historian on the text of the New Testament. But his positions are completely wrong. The conclusions that he comes to are demonstrably false. These broad sweeping statements that he makes, he knows they are not true. I watched two debates that he had, one with William Lane Craig and one with um, uh, James White. And they both destroyed him factually and logically. But... Those guys are not on John Stewart, right? And these are the guys. He teaches at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. How about this? Miriam Cook, she is an Islamic feminist. (laughs) Now, honestly. How many of you, that's the dumbest thing you've heard today. Would you raise your hand? An Islamic feminist. She teaches at Duke. All right. Does she look like an Islamist to you? She said this, Islamic feminists are declaring that, yes, Islam is the ideal just society. You know, she says that in North Carolina. She's not saying it in Saudi Arabia. Right? i bet she drives to work. Islamic feminists are declaring that, yes, Islam is the ideal just society. Islamic feminists confront any who threaten their Islamic or local community, whether they be organizations or individual men or Christian, Jewish, or secular women. Well, you don't confront them over there. You'd be dead. They'd kill you. They'd stone you to death. They'd stone you to death just for that picture. Unbelievable. Why? Is this thinking... Now, here's, here's what happens. This is what goes through people's minds. I know this because people say these things to me. Pastor, you're just pulling out extreme things. This is, this is not the way that people really think. Well, evangelicals are by far the most disliked religious groups on campus, according to the, review, the uh, uh, surveys of the professors. Muslims were not liked by 22% of the professors. This means that in the United States, professors are two and a half times more likely to dislike an evangelical student than a Muslim student. So here you have a student, if, he's a, if he is an Islamist, who believes in Sharia, which is Sharia law, who believes that, that homosexuals should be killed and women shouldn't have the, that they are the property of the man. If a woman is raped, she has to have four witnesses or she is put to death because of her immorality. All right, That's what these people believe. But on a college campus today, a professor is two and a half times more likely to like you than a Muslim, or to like a Muslim student over an evangelical Christian. You're not walking into a neutral atmosphere. Now, how many of you recognize that that's just pure idiocy? And I don't, I don't know how to use any other kind of language. It's so stupid, you can't hardly get your head around it. Uh, an Islamic feminist... And she's popular. That teaching, it influences, it pervades the campuses, or camp I, depending on how that you want to say that. Here's James Tabor. James Tabor, this is from a a report from ABC News. James Tabor is the chairman of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. His book challenges many of the beliefs that Christians hold dear. (laughs) Maintaining that Jesus is neither the Son of God nor the son of Joseph, but most likely the child of a Roman soldier named Pantera. I always thought that was a sports car, not a Roman soldier. It, it, now, where does he get his, his evidence for this? There isn't any. But here, here's his philosophy. There are no such thing as miracles, so the virgin birth is impossible. That means he must have had a Roman soldier for a father. Again, listen, these are the people that call you stupid. How many of you realize how dumb that statement is right there? It, just, it doesn't make any sense. There's no historical evidence for it. And yet, he is one of the most influential men in that region on that subject. This is what to expect in college. Remember, you're not walking into a neutral environment. What are we going to do about it? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. So, young people, what are you going to do? Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Go back to Ephesians 4, and I want you to see this in verse 2. Verse 1 again, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now look, with all lowliness, with all lowliness. Don't think that you are strong enough to stand against your secular professor. You're just not. You, can't, you will not win a debate... With a man who has prepared himself to destroy your faith. With a woman who's has prepared herself to destroy your faith. Why? You've just not lived long enough. It's really important that you get this. So what do you need to do? You need to not walk in there arrogantly. You need to walk in there in lowliness. Lowliness. Understanding that your faith is not based on whether or not you can answer the challenge of a 50-year-old bully. Because let me promise you something. I'm going to make a really arrogant, bold statement. I can answer his challenges. Call me. I'll answer his challenges. He will not He will never say anything to you that I've not heard before. Because I've been listening to these debates and studying these debates and, and being involved in these debates for 35 years. It's really important that you know we have the answers. There are people in this room who know more about that subject than the person who's attacking you. So just because you're not prepared to answer every one of their challenges yet, you need to know that those challenges or those answers do exist, and we have access to them. So if you ever hear anything in college that's different than what you have learned here, understand, we've heard the challenge, we've looked at the challenge, we've examined the challenge, and we have discerned biblically that they're wrong. We have the answers. It's really important that you get that. Go look back at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. So verse 10 was, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles, what's that talking about? He's so deceptive. He's so deceptive and He will come at you through your roommates, through your college professors, through unsaved friends, through uh, infidel friends. Verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, that's specifically dealing with spiritual warfare, but you're going to be dealing with spiritual wickedness in high places, those who are professors. That's what you're going to be dealing with, people who hate your faith, and they are spiritually wicked. Keep your place right here. Uh, No, forget it. We'll just keep going right here. I won't allow myself to be distracted right now. Quit distracting me, folks. All right, now, look at the next verse, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. You know what we want you to be able to do while you're in school, while you're in vocational school, while you're in the military? Do You know what we want you to be able to do? We want you to be able to stand. Look at the next verse, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints now what is this telling us to do okay young people here's your here is the armor of god for you how are you going to stand? How are you going to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called? When you get into this atmosphere, look at what it says. Start in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth. Now, what that is, is back then they'd wear long robes. And when they would run or work, they, they would take that those long robes and they'd pull it up and they'd tie it up in a belt. And that's, that was called a girdle. We use girdles for different things now. As a matter of fact, I could probably use one right now to help me with this suit. But... The, the idea of your loins girt, that's just a belt. And the Bible says your loins girt about with the truth. John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So what this passage is teaching you is all those loose ends of life, tie them up with the word of God. See, you're going to be told there's no such thing as truth. Right? And what are you supposed to ask at that point? Is that true? That's a self-defeating statement, isn't it? There's no such thing as truth. Well, is that true? If it's true, then what you just said is false. It's a self-defeating statement. And these people are so smart, right? They're so smug. (laughs) Lovey, (laughs) he thinks there's truth. (laughs) And and, and it's just a dumb statement. Amen? Amen? And so what you need to do, you need to laugh. When somebody says that, just laugh. Just look at them and say, that's the stupidest thing I've heard today. Mock them. Just mock them. Well, that's not very nice. Well, it's stupid. What are you supposed to do with stupidity? Laugh at it. It's ignorant. Ignorant. Truth does exist. So it says, your feet shall... Then it says, uh, so, verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Your breastplate covers your heart. And you've got to remember that you don't have righteousness of your own. You have Jesus Christ's righteousness. And you put on that righteousness, and it will protect your heart. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. You know, the culture says follow your heart, right? But the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So none of us would teach you to follow something that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's what your heart is. So take on the breastplate of righteousness. Follow Christ's righteousness, not your own, and then you will become a righteous person through the power of Jesus Christ, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Then, verse 15, have a reason for being there. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Go into your school. Go into your workplace. Go into the military with a heart of the evangelist. Go in there with a desire to lead people to Jesus Christ, not to deny your faith. Have a a reason for being there, to take other people to heaven with you. You know why? Because there's going to be people trying to take people to hell with them. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, above all. Now, would you mark that, above all? Now, if it's one of the church Bibles from the pew, don't mark that. All right? But if it's your Bible, mark this right here. It says, and above... It says, above all. Now, how many of you think that might be something you want to notice? You think? Young people, you think that's something that you ought to notice above all? This is the most important thing that Paul's saying right here. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Above all, what does it say? Taking the shield of faith. The shield of faith. You're going to need the shield of faith. Because here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to bring an argument to you that you've never heard. And I'm so thankful that many of you have prepared yourselves. You've studied the truth. You've studied many of these issues and you're prepared with answers. That's cool, isn't it? I think that that's awesome. And yet, you'll get a question that you've not heard before. Receive that question with an attitude of faith. Don't allow that question to shake your faith or your belief. Have your faith as the shield to protect you from the doubt. And here's how you do it. You know that there no... in your heart and in your mind, that there is an answer to that question. You just haven't learned it yet. So that is the shield of faith. Why? Look at what it says. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. They're going to come. So let me, let me say something. All right, all you young people, look at verse, look at the end of verse 16 with me. So who is shooting the fiery darts at you? What are they called? That's right. Say it out loud again. What are, they, what, are they, what are they called? Those that are shooting the fiery darts at you. What are they called? The wicked. the wicked. So when someone's trying to shake your faith, what word do you need to have in your mind? Wicked. Wicked. This is not my friend. How many of you think a friend wants you to go to hell? Is that a friend? No. No. Now let me say this. Man, if you're saved and they shake your faith, you're not going to hell. Isn't that good? Jesus Christ keeps you. You, you don't keep yourself. So, so don't worry about that. What I'm saying is that they can shake your confidence in what you have learned. And you saw from Richard Rorty and you saw from Weinberg, that's exactly what they want to do. Hitchens, that their desire is to shake your faith, which means they are wicked. They are wicked people. How many of you think it's a good advice to take advice from the wicked? How many of you Lady Gaga is going to be the person that's going to design your wedding dress? Good idea? You know, how many of you guys, you know, you, Prince is going to be your model for uh, manliness? Jacob raised his hand. I'm going to beat you after church. You are, you're a dead man. We're going to line up. We're going to do a gauntlet. Well, just, Jacob has to walk out and get pounded by everybody. If you don't know, that's my son. Um, used to be my son. I've disowned him today. so don't take advice from the wicked and then look at verse 17 this is so important man it's just so important and take the helmet of salvation okay I'm going to ask you really Kayla let's see if you can answer this question where do you wear a helmet on your head good job she graduated Um, you need to know what you believe about salvation you need to know what the gospel is The gospel is faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the receiving of the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered you. You didn't know that. That helmet. Protect what you believe about the gospel. And then the sword of the Spirit. Man, you want to... It's so funny. I had a friend, he he said that uh, he used to pick up hitchhikers and give them the gospel. And what he'd always do is he'd put his Bible on the seat. And so when they got in, they'd open the door and they'd see, they'd open the door and see the Bible. And he said, this actually happened. People would jump like this when they'd see the Bible. Isn't it amazing how offensive the Bible is to people today? It's offensive. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. The Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when you pierce somebody with that Bible, if they hate God, it's going to hurt them. Don't let them hurt you. You have the shield of faith. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the helmet of salvation. And you're going to take the sword of the Spirit and say, yeah, that's what you believe? Here, listen to what God said. Yeah, you believe that? Listen to what God said. That's just your interpretation. I didn't interpret it. I just read it. This is what God said. This is what God said. Oh, you're just one of those crazy fanatics. Oh, well. I'm a crazy fanatic for God. You're a crazy fanatic for Satan. Just stand. Just stand. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, praying always. Got to pray. In that class, during the test, pray. Especially if it's a math test. (laughs) Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all... Now look at what it says. Perseverance and supplication for all saints. What does that mean? That you're going to persevere, but while you're persevering, you're praying for the believers that are around you. So Nathan is up at Toledo. And he's had to take a stand for the Lord there. Challenged in some classes, he had to take a stand for the Lord there. But there's other believers that have been helped by that. Isn't that right, Nathan? Nathan? So, he, him, he, whatever the grammar is, being willing to take a stand, has helped other believers. It's strengthened their faith. And what you don't realize, when you take that stand, there are other people there trying to decide whether or not they're going to. And you can be that leader. You can be that one. I remember I was at uh, the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, and they were showing this video and it was, uh, it was all about slavery. So it's liberty, but it wasn't liberty for all. And the whole presentation, it wasn't on the liberty bell. It was on slavery. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I stood up and said, we freed them. There were slaves everywhere. We freed the slaves here. We, we're the good guys. So there were like 50 people there. Like 40 of them started clapping. <laughs> Why? They were all thinking the same thing. It just took one person to stand up. That's what you need to do. Of course, they might call the police on you, but you never know. (laughs) You need to be willing to be the one to take a stand, persevering but praying for the believers around you whose faith is being weakened by the attack of the enemy. Do you know that you're going to have friends in college who come from churches that haven't trained them as well as you've been trained? And they love God as much as you do. They believe the Bible just as much as you do, but they've not been trained the way that you have. You need to stand for them. You need to stand for them. Remember, you're there to take people to heaven. There are others there. They are there to take people to hell. Stand. Amen? Just stand. Let's all stand.